Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello there. My name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan. And together with my co-host, Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am joined by Paul Doolin. Hello. And Dave Watson. Good to be back, boys. It's been a while. It has been a long, long time. Uh, happy lockdown number three. Uh, happy New Year, more importantly. Yeah, and did you have a nice yeah. Christmas and all that? Dave, it wasn't bad. My brothers were going to come and stay. They couldn't stay, but it was actually quite sweet. Just me, my girlfriend, and my three-year-old son. We actually had quite nice. a night. Mm. Did anyone get any new we based presents? Uh, Paul, did anyone get any Newcastle-based presents? Disappointingly, no. Although I always think I want a Newcastle-based present, and then you get it and you go, uh, maybe I don't want it. Yeah, yeah. Like the the fridge magnet or the yeah. I, no, I didn't get any of those. I was supposed to be down in London, but obviously that that went awry. So, like you, Fergus, we just had a small one with um, my wife, my eighteen-month-old son, and one sister-in-law which yeah she's all right she made (laughs) so it's okay listen to the podcast that's a glowing endorsement (laughs) so before we start something quite exciting has happened in a sort of moral dilemma this afternoon i got added to uh, a whatsapp group uh in which i don't know who any of these people are (laughs) 
none of these people are in my phone. I assume I've been accidentally added to this WhatsApp. <laughs> uh, uh, it's called Here Be Dragons Here. This is the first message. I won't name names. I, I, I'm going to stay in it because I want to see where this goes. Hello, chaps. So I have now done character sessions with you all. We are pretty much set to go. We just need to figure out its arrangements. Character sessions. Here be dragons. What is this group? Here be dragons. Come or something. Oh, shit. I should probably check this with you, Paul. Maybe those are actually... Nothing to do with me, I don't think. But I recognise the name from something. I've got no idea. Fergus, have you potentially, and just potentially, have you potentially um, auditioned for something, got the job, but been so drunk throughout all of those conversations that you've forgotten everything? It's very potentially. Possible. The only part of that story that's not credible is the idea that I might have got a job. <laughs> it seems okay, to let's. Um, Baby Dragon seems to be a video game or a novel. Right, I think so, yeah. Okay. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I'll tell you what else was interesting, and that is uh, Newcastle's run of games since we were last on. I propose that we separate them into brackets. Since our last podcast, we played Crystal Palace and West Brom. We won both of those games. 2-0, 2-1. Then we played Leeds, Fulham and Brentford. And what a lot of fun those games were. Then on Boxing Day, we played Manchester City. And uh, since then, we've had what I think we might be able to agree has been at least uh, a step away from the utter shot that preceded it in uh, the games against Liverpool and Leicester. So should we talk about our, our, our period of, of real misery, Leeds, Fulham, Brentford? Dave, take it away. <laughs> um, yeah, so we. the thing is, I think we have to touch on the, the, the two that preceded it, like the, the two wins that came before it, because um, we were going into that Leeds game with a bit of confidence off the back of those two games, because... I mean, we hadn't played particularly well, but we just looked, I don't know, a little bit more confident, a little bit more um, progressive. And then the Leeds game came about, and certainly in the WhatsApp chats I was having with, I think, yourselves and with others, that all we needed to do is match Leeds' intensity uh, and we get something because they are leaky as, leaky as all hell at the, at the back. Um but we just didn't, and th- that like that pass- passiveness, passivity is that a real word? Should be a word. So, yeah, yeah. We just we didn't put pressure on them, and so they were able to to counter with you know well to attack with just gay abandon, and we weren't closing them down, and it was it was a deserved shellacking, and uh, although we got to like two two, we were so naive again, just as we were in the Man U game where we were apparently going for the winner, but leaving ourselves so open at the back and just not following runners. So they deservedly spanked us. And then the Fulham game, again, it was like they were there for the taking and all we needed to do was have a bit of intensity, put them under pressure, but 
John Joe Shelby is the laziest man in on in a black and white shirt at the minute. He just strolled around the pitch, didn't didn't affect the game, and he wasn't. Well, what he some wasn't people being, might what some people might not remember about that game is that um, from we had a penalty, and I think that's when they had a player sent off. They yeah, were they yeah. were down VAR. for for the last half hour of that game. Yeah, so that's where it sort of stepped into unforgivable that we didn't get three points. That's certainly a game we should have got three points from, yes. which I said in the WhatsApp group and was seized upon. And I want to clarify, I was saying, not that we deserve three points, but that mm. we should have got three points under those circumstances against. Well, um, anything you want to say, Paul? I think the Leeds one, even though they were, were they below us at the time? That was a game yeah. I was worried would be a shellacking. Because I just thought everything that we struggle against or have struggled against this season from Brighton onwards is like pressing teams, closing us down. We never seem to have an answer for it. And Leeds are the mm. hardest pressers in the league. So I wasn't that surprised we got hammered by them. Fulham was a, I think Fulham have got a much more industrious midfield than we have. They've got what we're lacking in players like Anguissa. They've got a lot of energy who'll do a lot of running in the middle. I think they just, they show what we really need. But that, that was the more depressing game in a way, because Leeds I was expecting, but Fulham against 10 men for that long to not really create anything. They felt like games where we were relying yeah. on just something weird happening to get a result. Leeds are an amazing yeah. side that um, are going to have so many fascinating Fascinating is a boring word, but so many uh, strange results this season. Spellbinding. I think, they, I think spellbinding. <laughs> they, they remind me a lot of us under Keegan in the 90s with a, a, a much less lower quality squad in terms of ability. Yeah. But it's, you know, they are, you know, they're tacked. I'm sure there's a lot going on there, but... I think plenty to, of good... If you were to put their tactics into one word, it would be attack. Yeah, plenty of good teams will lose to Leeds and plenty of bad teams will beat Leeds. You sort of... Yeah, I think no, they are going to get some thumping, but I've seen them a few yeah. times this season and quite often I've thought, how are they not winning this game 5-0? So I don't think the result in itself was like some huge... Um, Humiliation. Shock. I, I get exactly what you're saying about at the end the naivety and all that. But you know, that's and and I also completely agree about the passivity. And when you compare it with Leeds and with almost any other side in the, the league, when we are not when we're playing our worst, we are a very passive team. And that is against a side like mm-hmm. Leeds. That is is a, a light is shone on that. Yeah. And then the the final game in that run was obviously the the Brentford game, which was our uh, you know best chance of getting to getting to Wembley. And I mean, it, it's it was depressing that we fielded a really strong lineup. Like for all the criticism I throw Bruce's way, one thing that I can't criticise on on him him on is uh, is how he takes the cops. 
he does. He plays a good, like a good team. He, he tries to field the strongest team he possibly can. And there are times where we've limped past lower league opposition. And this was one occasion where the lower league opposition, even though they were much changed, were just like better organised and they were more impressive and they they deserved to go through against another lacklustre performance, another passive performance, which when, and we'll get onto them, when we saw some of the other results um, and the other performances, it, it almost makes them worse because we've seen we've got the players available to play that play with that intensity like the I mean I think you, you mentioned earlier that you wanted to use Manchester City result as like a, a bit of a bridge between the two the two brackets and I think that's it's, it's a good idea because yeah Man City there was much more intensity and we were we were deservedly beaten but we just played with more intensity and I think that's a personnel issue uh, okay, I mean, I think Steve Bruce has, and this is not me defending Steve Bruce. I just, I think it's talking about what's been going on. He seems he talks about the Brentford game quite a lot since then mm. as a as a terrible performance and how they didn't turn up on on the day and should have done a lot better. And I, I think as a squad, they've tried to use that as a we need to sort our shit out moment. Um, what's gone on exactly behind the scenes, I don't know. But like, it seems like there were some talks between the players and the management after that game that people need to sort their shit out. So yeah. however, long, however long the change that's come from that lasts and whether it will get to a standard that's anywhere near good enough, and then that's a broader point, what is good enough? I don't know. But, yeah, it seems like the, the Brentford game was a, was a turning point, or at least they're trying to use it as a turning point. Personally, watching it, but this is just my own like desire to use sport as entertainment as opposed to like something else in the world to be miserable about i i didn't think it was like this absolute travesty disgraceful performance i thought well that's a shame it would be nice if we played better in a quarter final it was an opportunity missed and yet brentford deserved to win but i i didn't think it was like one of the worst performances of all time and I think the context nice of it was what that. made it really hard to stomach was that we were a league above them and it was our strongest team playing their B team I think what yeah. what we don't really know is whether it's a coincidence or not that our three most passive lackluster performances came shortly after we'd had COVID go all the way through the squad how much of it's down to that? Because you could see Fernando. When was when was the COVID thing? That was pre-Brentford Palace right? game. Yeah, we had a couple so of wins the, after it. Yeah, the um, the Aston Villa game was the it was postponed because of the COVID outbreak, and that came before the Palace game. But then Matty Longstaff came in for the Man City game and was full of running and mm. as. You know, he, he was providing... I want to get this right. The COVID outbreak was before the Palace game. Yeah. Our yeah. COVID outbreak. Yeah. 
Okay, all right. Skeptical about that, but go on. <laughs> but yeah, we've got the we we've got the players in the squad that can play with intensity, like Almiron, like um, Matty Longstaff. Um, I, I don't know if Matt Ritchie would have been available because of injury or COVID or whatever. But we've got players who can play with intensity, and you know damn well that there would be players in the under twenty threes or the you know or wherever who who would come on and at the very least show some of that intensity. Um, from the bench, uh, at least. I mean, I know Elliot Anderson's been on the bench a few times, and he's a player that's that, that has a lot of people talking about him. So why why weren't we playing some of these guys who aren't going to get a chance when everybody's fully fit? Um, play them when you're when you're lacking intensity, or when the the, the players around them have got tired legs because they're suffering the after effects of COVID or whatever. Why not play the the, the f- more fringe players who have that intensity. What does uh, seem strange maybe. at the minute is we do seem to have found two players who, if we just signed them now, we'd be talking about as amazing signings in Matty Longstaff and DeAndre Yedlin. And it's, <laughs> they've just been down the back of the sofa all the time. Yeah. Just as a um, as a uh, clarification, just as a, a correction to the record. The COVID outbreak and the Villa um, post member was after the Palace game. It was. We before. had a few players out with COVID for the Palace game. Maybe, but the pa- the Palace game went it's ahead. Correct your correction. Okay, <laughs> but the Palace game went. The players that played in the Palace game weren't recovering from COVID, and the no, Palace game was we a relatively good like performance. COVID, but yeah. The first game we played with like players some of whom were recovering from COVID was West Brom. Yeah. Which is when things sort of, you could make the case that like some of those games in that run, it's not that we were a sparkling side lighting the league up and then we got COVID and things changed. But no. And there's already a lot of confirmation bias and a lot of um, distrust of Steve Bruce and uh, a tendency towards thinking that we're a passive team but that is that is a strong point that in those games a lot of that passivity might have been done but we're already a very passive team but i think when the margins are so fine that's sort of i wonder it'll be interesting to see how we perform for the rest of the season and whether those three games stand out at the end as being the three worst because they felt at the time as standout games Apart from well, the Brighton game is the only one that felt as depressing to me as that one. For me personally, that was the worst performance of the season. But that maybe just when you go down to like goals early on in the game and you're completely opened up, that probably yeah. just raises your opinion of that game. And when it's a side like Brighton, um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of COVID, uh, we still don't have Saint Maximin or Lascelles, right? No. I've had a lot. Of, I've heard a lot of conjecture that um, Lascelles is definitely COVID, but that St. Maximum there might be something else going on. It might just be people, you know, looking for conspiracy where there isn't any. But yeah, it's just rumours. I think he said on social media, hasn't he, that there there isn't a problem. But you know, who knows? Yeah, it wouldn't be. 
he has, I think, in the past fallen out with most managers he played under, so it wouldn't be surprising. But, um, but yeah, he says there isn't a problem. So it, it, it might not be. I'm, I'm not saying it definitely is or anything. I'm just well, I think there are problems. I think even if there was a problem with him, though, he's too important to us to not be in contention. I don't think Bruce would not select him unless, which I think we all know has definitely happened, he's been shagging Steve Bruce's daughter. He's been shagging Steve Bruce's daughter. That's, that's, when it gets down to it, that's the only, it's the only viable explanation. Or, or Alex Bruce. <laughs> you don't know if Steve Bruce has a daughter. He's you know, definitely he been shagging Alex Bruce. Yeah. Also, his mate got signed by the club Oh, yeah. So, surely, doesn't it work if St. Maximin isn't available, then his mate should be playing. That's the way it works, right? Yeah. <laughs> his mate, he was signed. Oh, what's that kid's name? Florian in... Oh, no, no, Lud- Ludwig Frankelet was a while ago. This is like Florian in Deltio or Indeletio. I don't know. When like we that. signed I, him, wasn't he like... He's French, I think. But when we signed him, mm-hmm. signed him wasn't he like a scaffolder in... Australia or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, we've alluded to it, um, but we might as well talk about the the Liverpool and uh, the Leicester City games. The Liverpool one for me is, you know, Liverpool aren't on terrific form. It was a nil-nil, but I thought it was probably the best performance of the season. Do we Definitely. agree? Yeah. yeah. I think it's hard to argue Go with. Go for it. It's the first time we've had that intensity that we've been lacking. I think that midfield two of Matty Longstaff and Isaac Hayden seems our strongest in terms of intensity. I think as well, you consider last mm. season, any game where we didn't have St. Maximum, you'd write off as we wouldn't have a chance. And this was playing without St. Maximum or Ryan Fraser. I think we, we actually, we, it made a difference how much higher up the pitch we were as well. It was a bit braver. We've not seen that with five at the back any time we've played it, I think. Not under Bruce, no. Um, I think one of the, the, yes, having Matty and Hayden in there, um, for their intensity in there, their, their, their like defensive contribution was huge. And that they moved, but like not having John Joe Shelby wasn't a miss. Like he is one of our most uh, technically gifted footballers, and you know he's he's a threat from set pieces or whatever. But we didn't miss him because we had like Hayden, Longstaff, uh, uh, Shah. They were all playing playing passes with a bit of length on them but we were moving up the pitch quite quite easily without John Joe Shelby and because they were starting further up the pitch it meant that they weren't having to hit a 60 yard ball to a now isolated Callum Wilson or whoever that we we had you know genuine opportunities against the champions of England and we looked in the game and sometimes I've I've taken the mick out of you Fergus because we've been in the game when we've been battered but it's only 1-0, so we're still in the game. But this, we were genuinely in the game. And had we had we scored and won that game 1-0, it, I 
don't think it would have been like a, a massively unfair result. I think it would have been a tactical masterclass that we praise Benitez for or whoever. Because he he, Bruce got it right that day. Mm. And I think, I think we said on the WhatsApp that we should play that way against weaker opposition and then we'll have more opportunities to, to score and we'll give up fewer opportunities to the opposition. It was good. Point, you, go on, Paul. I think the point on Shelby as well is very important because I think his range of passing, that's not needed when we have Fabian Scher because all Shelby does is move into the defence and spray 50-yard balls. We might as well have a centre-back doing that. It just mm-hmm. it means as soon as a defender or a midfielder gets the ball, the closest pass that's attacking onto them isn't the sort of 40-yard worldy they have to pick out someone mm. they can matty longstaff plays a lot of decent short functional passes but that keep us going forward i think it was notable sort of remind, Shelby sort of reminds me in a weird way of rooney in the second half of his career where he was mm. sort of like a striker or a number 10 who wanted to be a number eight you just mm. kept couldn't help but be a midfielder and Shelby seems to want to be like a fucking sweeper or something. Shelby yeah. cannot help but get into defence and do things that do not, nothing comes of them. Yeah. He's not always been like that, but he's he's like that at the moment. So, yeah, I agree. It was great to have Matty Longstaff and um, Hayden in midfield. And um, you mentioned Cher. He had an amazing game against yeah. Liverpool defensively as well and it would be lovely to see and because we we forget that um a year or two ago we were talking about having a surplus of uh quality central defenders and i think as a club we probably thought we did because we sent lejeune out on on loan Mm. but um this season it hasn't looked like that and most of our central defenders have not being the players that we thought they were. Although Kieran um, Clark's return, I think, has made a massive difference as well. I, I think, yeah. in terms of symmetry and what they both offer, Clark and Fernandez seem a much stronger partnership to me than Lascelles and Fernandez. And Kieran Clark mm. seems seems to have turned a little bit into Philip Albert. He just keeps having the odd forty-yard run forward. Right. A couple in the last few games, we just think, what the hell is he doing? If Cher can be be the player that he was a couple of years ago, then that would be really good because he does offer a lot defensively and as a a kind of player. This is what playing with three centre-backs allows you to do. When When the balance of the game is such that it's comfortable for one of the centre-halves to move up, there's, there's still two centre-backs behind him. So he's not he's not leaving us completely exposed as as Albert would do when it was just Peacock at the back. But I, I, I think we said it, I can't remember what game it was, but it was earlier in the season we played five at the back and we looked okay. And I was like, yeah, this, this, just just keep doing this because it's not, it's not necessarily negative. It's just a really solid foundation. We've got three, three or four decent centre-back partnerships. We've got some pace and movement on the on the flanks, and you can play you can play our midfield with Hayden and either of the two long staffs, and they'll do a lot of the busy work. I, I seem to remember not from 
not from you necessarily, Dave, but there being a bit of a consensus after a couple of bad performances with Diet at five at the back. There was a bit of a consensus from you. There was a bit you of a feel back, of that. No I, more five at the back. I think a lot of that was more down to, it was the way we were playing rather than formation, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. We were playing five at the back, but so deep and passive, whereas I think what the the Liverpool game especially has shown, you can have five at the back and play a bit higher up. Yeah, I think because the, the games where we were playing five at the back and we were we were unhappy was because we were playing five at the back and Shelby. So you're essentially playing with like everybody back. And yeah, um, but then we carried the, the good performance into the Leicester game. And I know that we lost that game, but the performance was... I mean, it wasn't as good as the Liverpool game, but it was much, much better than the majority of the games we've seen this season. Bit more intensity, bit, bit. Um, we were looking a bit ragged towards the end of the game, and I think that comes down to the fact that Matty Longstaff hasn't played a lot of football, and then we brought on John Joe Shelby, and he genuinely, I think, he was at fault for their. They're like their second. You're just strolling around the pitch, not doing anything. Um, but it was better, and I'm all for keeping this this formation. All for keeping the, the, the even roughly the same personnel. And we should mention that um, Andy Carroll got his first goal for the side yeah. in about ten years, <laughs> and you could tell when he scored it that he really wanted to celebrate. Yeah, <laughs> he knew it didn't count for anything. There was a little spot in this one. You know, I sort of feel sorry for him. You know, he's a Newcastle fan. He did grow up with the club. He's come back. He's been with us for 18 months. He's probably wondering, is it ever going to happen for him? Is he going to get to score another goal for the side? And when he does, it's in front of no fans. It's a a meaningless consolation goal. He never got the chance to, like, celebrate it. I think he could quite legitimately look at some of the recent games where we've had four four two, and Joel Linton started ahead of him, and mm-hmm. be quite legitimately angry. Like, what do I need yeah. to get in? To be fair, that was the only when he only time he came on in a few games where I felt that he actually was doing quite a good performance. He was actually doing something. I know Joel Linton yeah. is invariably. Terrible. He's sort of terrible 80% of the time, all right 10% of the time, and quite good 10% of the time. There was like, you know, I was, I felt good. Joe Linton had a couple of good moments in that game against Palace, and I thought, oh, that's good. And then, um, yeah, then that was his couple of good moments of the season. Right now, uh, we, we better have a break now because uh, our Zoom conversation is about to finish. So we'll have a quick break and then we'll be back uh, with your questions from Twitter. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean... And more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. 
from dope 250 watt city bikes to Harley Bobber inspired 750 watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Hello, welcome back. Good break, guys. Lovely. Fantastic. Okay, we're going to go in on Twitter now uh, with some questions and comments. Thomas Burkan, our uh, German fan, uh, says, uh, this club will never get anywhere. Verden, Verde Bremen manager, Ademos. <laughs> you have a show, <laughs> No, I'm reading a German name. <laughs> He's what I should explain it. What is his tweet is comprised of initially a quote from a former Werder Bremen manager uh, right. in 1996 saying, This club will never get anywhere. I see. And then he in 1996, and then he's saying, This club will never get anywhere. Newcastle United fan Thomas Burkham referencing himself on Newcastle United. In 2021, I guess the point he's making is because I, I had to look up how did Werder Bremen do after 1996. He's making the point that we all think we're never going to get anywhere, but Werder Bremen, as we all remember, did well after 1996. So <laughs> maybe we will. I guess he's saying, you know, you never know. Look on the bright side. Okay, Nick Bird says. Why does Nick Charnley escape a lot of the criticism that Bruce and Ashley get? Surely he is as culpable as anyone for where we are as a club. Any thoughts on that? I think the, the yeah, difference you, you between Bruce and Ashley at the club is Charnley is broadly powerless, or seems to be. Bruce at least has match day power yeah, don't. over being able to affect our lineup and our tactics, and Ashley has the power over the direction the club takes. But doesn't Lee Charnley have? You don't. I mean, I know don't. he's only got the funds. I know he's only got the funds he's got. But doesn't he have the power over recruitment and deals? Ultimately, isn't Lee Charnley the reason why? <laughs> I mean, can you not blame him for something like Joe Linton happening? With Lee Charnley, he's just the... like You don't blame the dog and you don't blame the... Sorry, you do blame the dog or you do blame the owner. You don't blame the dog shit. He's just like a bit in the middle. He, he's... he's what a fantastic <laughs> phrase. He, he did, didn't you make find... that, did you make that up yourself, Dave? I've never heard that. Just straight off the top of my He's it's absolutely he phenomenal. Didn't, didn't... I want to take that around the world. I think that needs to become like... Is the Pope a Catholic or something? What a phenomenal analogy. <laughs> it sounds like the sort of saying an old American lady from the Deep South would say, y'all don't blame the dog or the owner. <laughs> y'all don't blame the dog shit. <laughs> so, it's very homespun wisdom. Thanks. Um, he just signed off on the players. He, he's basically an admin clerk that's been promoted beyond his level. So, yes, he's not very good at his job and a better CEO or whatever his title is now um, might have employed 
better scouts, might have pushed for a better manager, might have done more due diligence. But at the end of the day, he's just actually Ashley's bag man. So get rid of Ashley, Charlie goes. That's the thing. For me, for me, um, Lee Charlie is just one of them figures who you see in pictures, and it's impossible as an outsider to have any sense of you know. I, it's it's obvious that he's not like some. Uh, genius who's who's about to be headhunted by Barcelona but uh it's you know he might ultimately be the at the very top of the list of people who are responsible for the decline of this club or he may just be a passenger in what's happened uh, I think it's kind of hard to tell yeah he's not a particularly good I mean what is his job title He's sort of chairman, because he's not—he's not a very good chairman, if that's what he is, or director of football, or whatever it is. But he's—he's he's doing the job Ashley wants him to do perfectly. Mm. Yeah. So, so it's more about the ambition and the direction of the football club than it is about how good he is at his job. I guess he's in charge of the balance sheet, right? Yeah. As long as we stay in the division, which under Michael Ashley's reign we haven't done twice. I think the criticism he gets, which I think for one the criticism he gets, which I think never really holds up, is fans go like, Well, he should just tell Ashley not to do that or go against him or resign. And anyone who's ever had a shit boss, that's not realistic. Yeah. Sure. I, I think ultimately it's his job mm. and he's going and like, where else is? I don't know what he earns, but like, he's the least, he's the lowest paid chief executive of all the Premier League clubs. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. But he's I, also probably I mean, paid th- more than he's probably he's probably also the highest paid uh, sports direct store manager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's on about. I think he's on about one hundred and fifty grand. Which, sure, which you know, maybe he, but I don't think he's performance. Maybe he wouldn't get somewhere else, so you know, he's not doing a job not out of love for Newcastle, but out of you know, trying to do the job that his boss wants, which you know, fair enough. John Easton on Twitter says, How many pigs in blankets do you reckon Steve Bruce had over the festive period? Period, it's an excellent question, it's got to be in triple figures. Do you think? I think he. I think. I think he's had one, but it was a full suckling pig wrapped in bacon. (laughs) Well, I want to try that. It's a good idea. Didn't have any pigs in blankets (laughs) this year. I didn't because we had a hat. I made a ham. You don't put pigs in blankets with ham. It's Christmas. You put pigs in blankets with everything. Maybe. Well, we didn't do it. God. Do you think there's Actually, any Premier League manager that had more pigs in blankets than him? Thinking Allardyce, surely a shout. Allardyce, by coming in in the last... Allardyce came in after Christmas Day, didn't he? So Yeah. So um, Allardyce, it was, a, it was a very last-minute sort of challenge to the pigs in blankets thrown. But I still think that Allardyce has had more pigs in blankets in the 2021 season than any other Premier League manager. Yeah. Even though it was after, you know, even in his short spell, I think he's had more than everybody else. Without a doubt. He's got a glove compartment full of them. 
I get the sense that in some ways you a lot of people on on the surface would put Sam Allardyce and Steve Bruce in the same uh, bracket as men. I know a lot of people would, would say that Sam Allardyce is a better football manager with a more proven record, but they're sort of like, they might say, well, they're similar kind of men. I actually think they're quite different. I think Sam Allardyce is an alpha male. And yeah. He's quite, he's, he's, he's a, I think he's an arrogant man. Whereas I think yeah. Steve Bruce is actually racked with self-doubt and may have gone through a lot of periods in his life where he goes on crash diets and doesn't eat pigs and blankets for, let's say, I don't know, four or five days <laughs> and then really lets himself down. That's just Mike, whereas Sam Allardyce will just happily, without even thinking about it, have a pint of pigs and blankets. <laughs> and if someone looks at him, he'll just tell him to fuck off. <laughs> Just have a pint of Sam Allardyce has got a pint of pigs in blankets in front of Die Hard on Christmas Day. That's what he does. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past Sam Allardyce to have a pigs in blankets enema. <laughs> Just right up the Bisto pipe. Whereas Steve Bruce, I think, wants fundamentally to watch Die Hard. Yeah. Jack Reacher and all that. But every now and again, he tries to better himself by. He watches the University it. Challenge. Hidden. He'll, yeah. he'll go off to the shed for a pig in blanket and watch a bit of Die Hard on his phone. I think we've gone psychologically deep. And then go back. on with pigs in blankets. But, but that, I, had, I never thought that question would go that far, but there you go. And um, Jake Sampson says, What are your conspiracy theories about why St. Maximin isn't playing? I mean, I think we've, we've, yeah. we've nailed it. Um, I, th- I, think we've, I, think, <laughs> I think we've nailed it in our psychological undressing of Steve Bruce. I think St. Maximum for, forbid him from having pigs and blankets, and that's why he's not playing. Maybe, that may well be. Uh, Paul M says, how do we get Joe Linton out of the side? All ideas gratefully accepted. Um, I think we just need <laughs> The only way that Joe Linton's not getting picked. Yeah. We should, yeah, sorry, Razorback, really. The, prob- the problem is yeah. Joe Linton's yeah. not particularly good, but he's he's good enough to get into our first team sometimes. I think personally I'd yeah. rather Almiron on the wing than Joe Linton. But he's, it's a tricky Definitely. one because it's a £40 million signing and the best thing you can say, which is a positive this season, is he's had a couple of average performances. <laughs> Is, is that so that his because basically his his like value trajectory after we signed him to the end of last uh, end of last season was was it was a nosedive that he's had a couple of average performances in the league has maybe like ticked it back up a little bit because nobody was going to pay any money for him at the end of last season mm. end of this season we might get like ten million for him like. It will go down as one of the worst signings in Premier League, in well, in certainly in Newcastle history, but potentially even Premier League history because he's he's not I mean, a quarter of his of his value. That list is the same list: the worst signings in Premier League history, <laughs> and the worst signings in Newcastle history. <laughs> I don't know. There's been some pretty bad ones all across yeah. the league, but um, Sergey Rebrov. Yeah, he did make a strong case. 
Joe Linton. I, I mean, do think as well, he's probably, I think Bruce is almost definitely under pressure from Ashley to get a tune out of Joe Linton. I, do, I, I wouldn't want to wish ill on anyone, but it is uh, Sod's law that the player in our squad who's got fucking long COVID is the player, is our one um, game-changing player who uh, we focused a lot of our player around in St. Maximum and yeah. also our captain. I think, and not. I think, you know, be, you know, before where we said, like, we'd, uh, well, I said we didn't really miss John Joe Shelby. I also think we, we haven't really missed Jamal Lascelles. I don't think we've, I don't think we've missed him. St. Maximum is a player that we've absolutely missed. Because I think yeah. had he been playing in some of the games, like the the Fulham game or the Brentford game, I think we could have, at the very least, bettered our current result. And you know, even against even in the Leicester game where it was it was two one, um, he might have it might have been the difference in that game as well. He is like you say, he's a game changer, and I think we we've missed them for a lot of the season and it's a real shame because I think he and Wilson would have enjoyed playing alongside each other it's a shame I think he's a little bit destined to be a bit like many players of his ilk the first example which comes to mind is Ben Arthur in the sense that he will have he will show up sometimes for amazing performances but is he ever going to have like a a long career where he plays 40 games a season. Mm. He's not been as hot and cold as Ben Arthur, though, I would say, from when he started. Yeah, but we, one thing we praised him for a lot was he was sort of a bit more consistent and a bit more, I mean, not massively more, but a bit more hardworking defensively. And what I mean is, I guess, about the fact that his absence, I guess yeah. his coldness. He's, yeah, but he hasn't... He hasn't Gone, he hasn't been as hot as Ben Arthur and he hasn't been as cold. No, but, uh, both could happen. No, yeah. um, okay. Our next game is against uh Arsenal in the FA Cup, Arsenal away, who a couple of weeks ago, maybe maybe more like a month ago, were one of the worst sides in the league. Alan Shearer was talking about them, I think, as relegation candidates. They do seem to have turned it around just in time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Our uh, visit to them in the FA Cup. It's it's a write-off. Am I right? Is it a write-off? I don't think it's a write-off. I think, I think the Liverpool game showed enough to suggest if we have the right mindset, we can yeah. perform against most teams. And Arsenal have had two very good games recently, but that's just mm. that's just from their wing backs having amazing performances mainly. I don't think yeah. everything's and suddenly you... fine at Arsenal, but they have been impressive. But I'm not I'm not going into the game thinking, but well, we're the... not going to get anything here. Yeah, it's a couple of games. And yeah. the game their 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 last three games they they won them all. It's against a Chelsea side who are in a terrible run of form and who are suspect at the back now. Um, a side who they play some nice football, but ultimately it's a collection of quite poor players. And then a West Brom side who are 
abject and um, like even we beat them. So for all the, they've won three on the bounce, they're not exactly, they haven't beaten like Spurs, Everton and Leicester. You know, they're, they're sides that anybody could beat them. So I'm not terrified of Arsenal but they've still got much better players than we do and they've got a better manager. So I'd still fancy them to win. Okay. I think it's the... Um, Sorry. I think we're a much harder team to break down them. now. I think if you look at our last three games, you wouldn't... I think you'd say any team that comes out of playing Man City, Liverpool and Leicester and concedes four goals is fairly decent defensively. We just can't just score. Good. I also still think that the jury's out on Arteta about yeah. whether he's... A, I don't think any of us, anyone has a fucking clue whether he's going to go on to be the next Guardiola or the next Tim Sherwood. I don't think we really know what kind of a manager Arteta is. That's fair, but I, I still... I agree he looks a lot better in a tracksuit than uh, Steve Bruce, so... He looks the part, at least. Mm. Yeah. And um, after that, we've got Sheffield United. Sheffield United. Chef, that, now, we're, now we're on. So we have um, turned things around a little bit in terms of performances since Christmas. We're all agreed on that, but ultimately we have very little to show for it. We've got one point. Um, we've got a tough game coming up against Arsenal. But back in the Premier League, before we have Arsenal away again, we've got Sheffield United away. And they are almost at this stage dead certs to go down. So you've, it's, it's a game that we've got to win, really, isn't it? I always yeah. think, in my head, anytime there's a team that's doing historically badly in the Premier League, sure. they take points off us. Yeah, yeah. The Derby, Derby's Derby. the perfect example. Yeah, they they their only win of the season came against Newcastle United. It's true. Um, watching it, uh, Kenny Miller. It was Sam Allardyce in charge, and I'll never forget it because it was Jeremy Bott, Smith, and Milner in a midfield four, and Owens went off like injured. It was the most depressing game I've ever seen. It was terrible and. And they should, Derby should have won in the reverse fixture at our place, and we were we only got the draw because of a eighty summit minute equaliser by Mark Viduka. So, yes, to back up Paul's point, <laughs> the names you just rattled off there, we had some pace in that team. <laughs> we had some pure pace. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking awful. Like. Yeah, it was one of the worst performed. Like I've, I've, I've had a dig at Steve Bruce for some abject football, but um, remembering that game, that was just wasn't just playing badly. It was boring. It was. This is why, like West Ham fans turned on Allardyce. Why Everton fans turned on Allardyce. Sure as shit, West Brom fans will turn on Allardyce. It's just boring. But Sheffield United, they haven't won all season and they've only got the two points. Um, they've got the worst um, 
they've just got the worst start, I think, since Derby. I think Derby was the yeah, I think that was the, the, the they've got the worst start since Derby. So they're there for the take. Okay, well, um, I certainly do hope we do get three points against them because looking at the games ahead, that looks like the, our best chance of uh, getting them for a little while. So, um, all right. Well, it's been a pleasure to uh, join you again. Uh, Happy New Year, one and all. Uh, let's hope that, who would have thought it? I think this could be the best year in Newcastle United's history think this could be it so uh let's hope let's hope in what way (laughs) you never know 2021 there's a lot of unpredictable things happening in the world at the time of recording we are still in the fa cup i think if we win that we're still in the fa cup are we mathematically out of the title race no no not at all no no okay so so the takeover's back on so you know there's is a lot it? of crazy things happening in the world right now. Who knows? This could be it. This could be our year, 2021. And we could have the and the title for next season wrapped up by Christmas. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Easy. Dave Watson. <laughs> Thanks, Fergus. Thank you, Paul Doolan. Thank you, Fergus. And thank you to you, the Newcastle Nata listener. Goodbye. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply